When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From lunch through to tea, this is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Just go on one o'clock. Someone just texted in saying Sale GP is on three now. The replay of the Dubai is up there for your viewing, and three now is free. Thank you, Steve. So, do go and watch that final uh, with New Zealand beating uh, Australian Canada in the final. Um, bit of a spoiler alert, but I did mention it in my chat with Blair Chook. But we are changing tack in yachting, we are changing tack to track and field athletics. And sitting in the studio with me now is the fastest New Zealander ever over 200 metres, Rosie Elliott. Thanks for jumping in and having a chat with us today. That's not a worry. Thank you for having me. That's quite cool, eh? Fastest over 200 ever. Yeah, pretty snazzy and quite unexpected when it happened. I wasn't actually focusing on the 200 metres. So absolutely thrilling stuff. Because you you were primarily a 100-200 and then you decided you'd go into, I think the most difficult distance ever been invented in the 400. So is the 200 part of your speed process for fours? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am a more speed inclined 400 meter runner. And so keeping those shorter distances, the 100 and the 200 was hugely advantageous to running fast 400s. Mm. What brought about the change to go away from the shorts to the to the longer punishing one? Um, well, it was kind of just a bit of a joke, really. I had been running a few fast times in training and thought it would be kind of funny to just go and run a rogue 400 in the middle of our domestic season prior to our nationals. And, you know, 400, also good training for the 200. It's good speed endurance, I suppose. And ran one. It was pretty fantastic. I actually really enjoyed it. And here we are a couple of years later. You started athletics as a, as a teenager, as a lot of people do. Um, and as a junior, you went to nationals in the 200 and the high jump, uh, the seniors you've been in the one, two and four. Can you take us back to, I don't know, is it primary school? When did you find out or how did you discover that you were reasonably quick? Uh, it would have been in primary school. I was faster than any of the boys at my school. It seems to be that's a banger. That is a banger. It seems to be a bit of a classic tale, an origin story. Um, 
And so I started doing it on a Saturday. And I actually, to be completely honest, I wasn't that good. I was quite gangly, a bit uncoordinated. I seem to have timed growth spurts for in the summer. <laughs> I'm not sure if seasonal growth spurts exist, but that happened to be when I was at my most gangly and uncoordinated. So sprinting was incredibly challenging for me. And it wasn't until I was probably about four, maybe 13, 14, I started to really grow into myself that I started to be a bit quicker than the other athletes I was competing against. Because coordination is a thing as a teenager, and you talk about growth mm. spurts, and you, and you can be a bit goofy when you run. Every, everyone, when, when we're going through those growth spurts and everything, and it can affect your balance and your timing and all that sort of stuff. And I always, I always credit Portia Bing with helping me understand how technical running is mm. because I asked her a question and her answer was 10 minutes long about how she approaches hurdles and counting steps and arms and wind and bends versus straights and all that and I went this is so technical it's not just I'm a fast runner so I'll run there's so much to it mm. and it often does start out as I'm a fast runner so I'll run but you do you know you do hit a bit of a ceiling with with that and eventually you are going to have to start working on that more technical stuff which as you say is incredibly complex and much more Porsche's a 400 hurdler as well which in itself will be much more complicated than running a flat 400. Mm. So were you just running at school were you part of a club? Yes I was part of a club I joined Phoenix Athletics Club when I was 12 and that's a club that's based in Christchurch and I've recently gone back to that club, so I'll be representing them this season. I represented them in my European season that I've just done. Awesome. Yeah. And, yeah, I represented my school as well. We have, obviously, school competitions. And then when I was about 17, I took some time off, and so I wasn't competing at all. What brought about the time off? Was that leaving school? And because we hear in a lot of sports, you're, you're really well supported with coaches and events and all those sorts of things when you're at school and you leave school and you think, oh, I'm, well, when you leave school, you think you're an adult. You're probably not. But at that time, did, did you go studying? What did you do in that sort of transition? Um, there were a few reasons. So I actually stopped training when I was, it was towards the end of year 12. And you know, your year 12 exams, it's your level two exams. They're the ones that everyone tells you is the most important for university university entrance. I wasn't putting a huge amount of time into my schoolwork and I kind of got to a point where I was like, oh, <laughs> I am going to fail my exams. So I quit my job, took a little bit of a step back from training. And it also coincided with, I just represented New Zealand at my first Oceania area champs. Mm. And I had a huge, um, I had a bit of a high when I came back from that and then it was followed very quickly by a massive low where it became quite apparent to me that there wasn't really a way forward in New Zealand in sprinting, which is a really disheartening realisation to have when you're, you know, 16, 17 and you want to be going to the, you know, the next comm games and that sort of stuff. Um, and so I was feeling a bit hopeless about it and that's, those those reasons kind of culminated to and me taking some time off. So when you say really highs and really lows, is that times? Yeah. And the expectation on yourself? Yeah, and it is actually something that I've experienced as an adult as well. So I've now attended two world champs, and you certainly have, even even after a domestic season, you have a bit of a you bit of a have a bit of a high, and then you kind of get dumped down from it a little. And you know that's 
that's how it, it works. It's a bit of an equilibrium. You can't have the highs without the lows. But it's very jarring. It's a very jarring experience. Mm. I've obviously talked to a lot of athletes and coping with failure is incredibly hard because you strive for excellence. And mm. and I'd imagine in you, every time you run, well, you won't be expecting personal best. You think you want to be a sort of around that. And you can really beat yourself up when it's not quite in sync, eh? Mm, absolutely. And I, I won't speak for other athletes, but I in particular do struggle with this. I struggle with consistency um, in all of my distances that I do. So one of the reasons I moved away from the 200 was that I was really struggling with my bend running. My times were so inconsistent. The conditions in New Zealand are incredibly challenging to run and you're often contending with quite strong winds. And even if you have a strong wind reading, it's still really disheartening to see a time that is potentially not what you were after. And so, yeah, I've, I've certainly struggled with that. Mm. How important is it to know your body, your mind, the machine, the whole machine, and do you ever stop learning about it? Well, I'm only 26, so I can't comment on whether you ever stop learning about it. <laughs> I certainly haven't. Um, there was definitely a moment, maybe a couple of years ago now, where you know how your your brain supposedly isn't supposed to finish developing until you're in your mid-20s, mid and there was it was almost as if I felt it happen, um, and it was... It, it feels as if I've only really started learning about myself in the last couple of years since that has happened. And that is a huge attribute as an athlete to be able to continue being malleable in how you view yourself and how you view your performances. Um, I think I would really struggle in this sport if I wasn't able to reframe how I consider all of those things. We've talked to a lot of athletes, as I said, and a lot of them started out as little kids at running races and throwing shot put and discus and trying a long jump and high jump. Um, when you started athletics, was it to assist in another sport or was it purely athletics? Because I don't know, but I'd imagine the very busy mind of Rosie Elliott would have had a, had a crack at just about everything. I was very involved in a lot of different sports as a kid. I primarily played um, hockey, touch <coughs> rugby, basketball, um, I, I'm sure I gave other sports a bit of a bit of a nudge as well. You know, once you, it's sort of compulsory to do cross country, triathlon, all of that sort of stuff. Loved it all. Um, and athletics, particularly when I was a little younger, definitely took a bit of a backseat. It wasn't, wasn't my favorite. I wasn't particularly good at it. Um, I think if I hadn't continued with athletics, I would have really persisted with hockey but as I got a little older, I got, again, a little more coordinated, a little better at it. It did become my primary sport. But I did continue with my other sports until, I think, until I left high school. Mm. You had a, gave rugby a go? Very briefly. Um, I didn't play it in high school. Oh, we played one sort of inter-school team. It was very social. Mm. Um, I don't have any comprehension of the rules of rugby <laughs> at all. Um, and then when I was in my first year of university, so I was in Carrington College Hall down in Dunedin, and we have the inter-halls rugby competition, and we gathered together a team for that. It's a whole lot of fun. Pretty competitive. You know, there's a lot of rivalry between mm. the halls. Um, yeah, so I played... 
a season of that. Towards the end of the season, I did unfortunately end up with a pretty nasty concussion. I really misjudged a tackle and got hit in a very awkward way. Um, and that unfortunately played out for well over a year. I was struggling with post-concussion syndrome. Wow. Mm, which when you're trying to study at university, you're trying to juggle a bit of a social life, really challenging to deal with. Um, and it came for me, it came with a lot of emotional ups and downs for no apparent reason. It's something that actually isn't all that known about. It's a brain injury. Exactly. Yeah. And people don't, um, I think the awareness is certainly picking up now, but people don't realize how long you can be affected by that sort of thing. And that really surprised me. Mm. And it's probably easier to talk about now than when you were in it because mm. you probably didn't quite understand because you were living in the now going, why is my world so stuffed? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was, you know, I, was, I think I had to withdraw from all of my papers that semester. Um, maybe I sat exams for one or two of them. Um, just so that I was able to progress into the um, next papers for the following year. But any non-essential papers I withdrew from, um, yeah, I was really struggling with, with my sleep, with anxiety. Yeah, it had a huge impact. How did you get out of that? Um, I actually don't think I did anything in particular to ensure that I did. Mm. Um, I was put through, I did receive the support that was necessary for it, which was great. Um, and I, th I think it just came right. It was one of those things that just came right eventually. Just a time thing. Yeah. I'm not sure that would be what I was, I'm not sure that's what's recommended, but that was what I did. <laughs> so what were you studying at uni? Um, at the time I was studying a degree in law. Um, I realized very quickly that that was a lot of reading. <laughs> Um, I think in my head, I liked the stability of a really discernible outcome of that degree. Um, but I quickly realized that it wasn't actually something I was particularly interested in. And I switched to a degree in uh, biomedical sciences. Oof, yeah. Which, again, again, isn't even what I graduated with. I graduated with a BSc in anatomy. So I went through a few different pathways before I reached that. And you were working with the uh, Canterbury health labs in the research department. Mm -hmm. What did a day at work look like doing that? Oh, it was incredibly varied. Um, so I was working there part-time to accommodate my training. I'd, you know, go into work. We'd follow up on any emails that had come through overnight because we have a lot of um, a lot of external people doing studies via our labs and so we'd potentially be preparing those samples for processing um, whilst coordinating people within our facility to accommodate what these external parties were wanting essentially. So there was a big communication role in the job mm. um, but also quite a practical role as well and I liked the variation of that. So is it like a central hub if I go and get a blood test? Is, yes. it, is it that yeah. sort of stuff? Yeah, that's exactly right. Oh, well. So now you've uh, relocated mm -hmm. to Auckland. You're going to be, I think, under the tutelage of Morty? Yes. James I've, Mortimer? I've been coached by him since April, which I've adored. It's fantastic. Isn't he a great human? He's just wonderful. Yeah, such a genuine guy. Mm. And so, and also you'll get to do, like I'm sure you compete and you do have done some training with Georgia Hulls and with Zoe Hobbs and that sort of thing. We've got 
some pretty special fast women in the New Zealand ranks at the moment. It's a good time to be you. Mm, absolutely. We've got it's a it's a great time to be any of us really because we um we we are able to push each other and obviously the exception of Zoe who is actually, you know, quite a bit ahead of the rest of us. We're not exactly pushing her an awful lot when we're doing block starts, for example, but the rest of us um, all have people to contend with and being able to train together in the same centre is a huge privilege. How important in an individual sport is it to have that team connection? Um, it's, for me personally, incredibly important. I know there are people who are able to do their training alone. I'm not personally one of them. Um, through lockdown, for example, I was having mm. one of my friends was video calling me while she was doing my training to ensure that I would do my training at the same time. Um, I'm not a solo athlete at all. And even just having, as I alluded to before, having people there to push you, hugely important. You're not going to get faster if you're not running with people who are faster than you, in my opinion. Mm. I'm sure there are people who would prove me wrong. Um, and just the team aspect of it, as you said, is an individual sport, but training alongside other people is incredibly invaluable. It's incredibly lonely if you don't. We're talking to Rosie Elliott. She's the fastest woman over 200 metres, but the focus has changed to the 400. We're going to delve a little bit more into that after this break. Getting you through the day like a hot cuppa after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. We're coming up, we're closing in on 1.30. It's great to have Rosie Elliott in for our extended staff chat, I'll call it, for the next hour. Rosie, um, fastest woman over two in New Zealand, uh, realigned to the four. How do you decide what you're going to do? Two or four? How do you decide? Ones, sixties, what are you going to do? I can assure you it won't be sixties. <laughs> um, based on my block start, hey, it's all just about what mood you're in at the start of the season, right? <laughs> Um, no, there isn't really. This season, as I said to you in the break, we're looking at Olympic qualifiers mm -hmm. and what the auto qualifiers are for that. And I'm looking at moving back down to a 200 metre focus this season. So potentially won't be running too many fours, if any at all. So that, that's the cool thing is I like about track is the distances that neighbour each other. So the 100, 200, 400 is that little... They all help each other. Mm. So, the, you know, the 100, the start, incredibly important. Not as important the 400. I'm not saying it's not important, for, but mm. incredible. so that's good for your starts. Mm -hmm. 200's good for running bends at pace. And 400's about, like, breaking yourself and learning how much pain you can go through. And I remember watching you run um, at the Graham Douglas and at the New Zealand Track Champs. You are an athlete who hits the reserve tank of the petrol tank with about 50 to go. But yeah. you you chuck everything at it. I have really gone to some places in the 400. <laughs> um, and I think that is certainly probably my strength over the distance um, is that I'm pretty comfortable going to some pretty bad places physically, probably emotionally as well. Mm. You really have to push yourself like nothing else. I think the only other event that would potentially compare would be the 800 metres where you're doing two laps, just a little slower. Mm. Um, both of them, very challenging. Mm. Yeah, because I watch, if, if you park yourself just behind the finish line, 
in the 400 metres and you watch the athletes as they finish. Mm. I don't think I've ever seen, maybe rowing is another one, that at the end of a race, every single part of your body wants to shut down. Mm -hmm. Is that what it feels like? Oh, absolutely. I can't even move once once I finish. And, you know, you might want to, but <laughs> I remember after I finished the 400 at Nationals and the race approach we tried for that one was to absolutely gas the first 300 and then just hold on for dear life, <laughs> which when you've got Porsche Bang running behind you, terrifying. Um, but I remember lying on the floor and someone came over to give me a hug and I couldn't even lift my arms up to hug them back. I think I got a pat on the head or something. <laughs> You, you mentioned Porsches in behind you. What effect do the athletes around you have? Like, there's such a psych-out psych game. I always remember one of my favourite stories, um, John Walker, 1976 Olympics, and they're all in the athletes' um, gathering room before they walk out onto the track, and everybody's there in their tracksuits. John Walker took his tracksuit off and just paraded with the black singlet and the silver fern and he reckons he just psyched them out just by walking around them in his black singlet. Like, the mind game started that early for him. Mm. Now, he was a legend in, in the sport, of course. But how hard is it to shut out your competitors, um, the, the reputation they've got, or the noise they make? Tell us about the relationship between you and competitors. Um, it's not something that I've ever really paid attention to if I'm entirely honest domestically everyone knows each other mm. um and in call tent I feel you know I feel quite comfortable being there depending on the distance that I'm running I don't really get too nervous I do for 400s because you know what's but that's more that's more because you know the pain that's coming not not so much because you're competing against these other people who may or may not beat you um, so I think we have quite a niche uh, situation domestically, um, just because we're, excuse me, just because we're such a small country. Um, and even in Australia, they're all so friendly and <laughs> nice. It's really, uh, yeah, it's being intimidated by them isn't something I've ever really felt. Mm. Mm. What about what about assessing the calibre of athlete that um, you're out on the track and you're flicking your legs like you do as you're warming up your hammies or whatever you're doing and you know you might be at the South Canterbury AMP show or you might be at the Australasian champs mm. the people that are around you does that affect you uh like spectators and such no no other athletes like knowing um, the caliber of field you're in yeah well we do I'm I'm not sure about other athletes but I do quite a bit of research before I go into mm. a competition so um, and I, I did this for several of my races in Europe as well, where you, you look at your start lists, you look at your fields, you look who's in your race, you <laughs> look at all of their times from the whole season, um, you figure out where you sit, you kind of actually really know how you're going to go before you run, mm -hmm. um, or approximately where you're going to sit, you know, who is going to pull you through to a good time, who's going to help you if you if you go with them that sort of stuff or at least that's how I approach it um and so I guess I sort of view other athletes as people to learn from and to use to push me to be better so you could actually pick a shoulder to run to run on and saying look she's 
she's 0.7 faster than me. So if I can hang with her, mm. she might pull me through to a good time. Yes. And I probably should learn how to just be able to push myself by myself. Yeah. Because, um, you know, if you get stuck out in lane eight, then you're just waiting for people to come up on your inside. But I'm certainly an athlete that enjoys running with other people and finds it really challenging if I'm not. Mm. How different is lane one to lane eight turning corners and uh, as relation to speed because i'd imagine lane one because it's tighter it'd be hard to maintain full speed than eight which is a slow curve mm, yes uh lane one sucks I, it sucks it's <laughs> you're going around you know such a tight bend it feels like you're running further mm. just because you're running so much more bend i'm quite a poor bend runner you know, we're working on it, but I really, really struggle with the bends. Um, I've potentially got some stuff going on with my leg lengths that makes it more difficult for me to adhere to the inside of the bend. And so I deviate towards the outside of the bend. Um, I've left the lane on the outside of the bend at least a couple of times, which obviously you get disqualified for. I've actually been disqualified for it yet. It's usually into club or training. Mm. Um, but it's certainly not my strength. To, no matter what lane I'm in, it's incredibly challenging for me personally to run. A wee while ago, you changed your block setup. Uh, you, you were right foot forward or left foot forward. I can't remember which way around. But then you changed it. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was right foot forward, and now I have. No, sorry, that was wrong. I was left foot forward. Now I have my right foot forward. Mm, so I changed that about, probably about a year ago now. Why? Uh, well, I'm not, I can't exactly remember. I think the reasoning behind it was much like bend running. I'm not, I'm not a super strong block starter. I find it really difficult. And I think the idea of it was uh, when I was starting with my left foot, I was overthinking everything and I was getting all of these cues. I, none of them were really working properly. And I was just stepping out of my blocks on the first step. And I think the idea was if we switched my leg, I wouldn't overthink it as much. I'd be able to, because it was so unfamiliar, I would just be able to kind of just go. Mm, mm. And then we discovered that I was actually far more powerful coming out of my blocks with that right leg. So I still have all of those problems. (laughs) I still um, hugely overthink everything I lead with the wrong thing I kind of step out I'm not all that powerful but it's better than it was on my left foot so there's that ever uh, evolutionary learning process and I'm mm. sure Morty will uh, knock you into shape which which will be fun how do you I've got the um, New Zealand athletics calendar on my desk you can't run in them all how do you plan a season uh well I actually think I am focusing on the 200 this season. I don't think there are all that many 200s on there. Oh, I didn't look at the actual, I was looking at the meetings and Mm. I'm including Australia as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Um, trips across the Tasman? There will hopefully be a couple. Um, I've actually been a little hesitant to plan my season. I've been dealing with a few injuries that have only really just come right. I quite recently had COVID again, the classic. and so I've been really putting off planning my season. But, you know, mm. we're mid-December now. I probably should do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but usually 
and and again I've just come to a new coach so I'm still trying to figure out what the process is here you know you take a season or two just to figure everything out but my understanding is that I kind of outline what meets I would like to do what distances I would do at each meet what would work to my advantage to race um and then we would work that into my training we'd figure out which meets I'm training through so we're not interrupting my training all too much um and then we'd figure out which meets are important and that would probably depend on you know historically what the conditions are at that meet what the quality of the track is like what the quality of the competition is likely to be like what the points allocation is all of that sort of stuff will play into deciding which would be pinnacle and i guess the big focus is those times is the qualifying time so you're gonna probably have to pick a couple and say these are the ones i'm going to give it a real crack Mm -hmm. so that's most likely to be our nationals Mm -hmm. um which are where this year it's in wellington right which is yeah i (laughs) i consider that to be a relatively unfortunate choice of location purely because of the um conditions there i like wellington i think it's a fantastic place but i think that for fast time it's not conducive yeah and i i think when one of the primary ways that we're able to qualify for the olympics is via this point system and our points that we're accruing at this meet this is one of the biggest Um, point scoring meets that is available to New Zealand athletes Um, and sorry I can't remember if I said our our points are dependent on how fast we run Mm -hmm. I think it does a little of a disservice to the athletes to have our nationals there Mm. and yeah. With yeah. so many points up for grabs. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. You're not dissing the event or no, the venue I, or the city. And I, I, don't want, I don't want to in, in any way. Um, as I said, really enjoy Wellington. And they put on a really good meet last year because our Nationals was there. Uh, you were there. Mm. Our Nationals was there this year as well. Mm. Um, but I think that it is going to create challenges for the athletes. And I think also the, the pole vaulters have some issues in Wellington where sometimes the weather conditions are so unsafe that they're not able to compete. Mm. Which come on, Wellington, put on good weather. Yeah, I know. I've got my fingers crossed for it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, diet, feeding the machine. Mm. How much work goes into that? Uh, that's something that I have managed to figure out over several years. It's just figuring out what works best for your body. Mm. Um, I'm actually on a low FODMAP diet. So low what? A low FODMAP diet. FODMAP. So, yes, it's essentially where I have to eliminate certain uh, sugar types in my diet. And this is something med- that's medically necessary. It's certainly not recommended for your average person or athlete or anyone really unless you need to do it. Um, so it's a way of managing um, irritable bowel syndrome. Yep. Um. And so, for example, I I don't eat garlic, onion. I really struggle with eating legumes, so beans, lentils, etc. Um, I don't eat gluten. I minimise dairy, but you know I'm able to have like yogurt with my breakfast. Some fruits can be really irritating, so apples, pears. If I'm going to eat them, I'll have maybe half of one for breakfast. Um, it's good to find good to get that knowledge though. Yeah, yeah, and it's given me, you know, quite an understanding of my body. I'm definitely really I notice how I feel after I've eaten certain things. 
Um, it's certainly taken me a really long time to figure out and it's hard to, hard to explain, but it's been something that I've had to build over several years of creating mm. habits. And it took a lot of thought at the very beginning where you're going, am I getting enough protein? Am I getting this? Am I getting that? Do I need to supplement this? Am I having enough water? And then on top of that, you're throwing training and your sleep in there, which you have to prioritize. And so it's sort of like, well, I have to, I've got this session coming up today. I need to stop eating X number of hours in advance so that I don't hurl. <laughs> and then you finish training at, at this time. You need to have your protein within this amount of time. Um, you know, in the evenings, you might not be getting back from training until, say, 6 p.m., but you want to be eating by 7 so that you um, aren't digesting when you're falling asleep because that's going to impair your sleep. Mm. And so these are all things that you become more and more aware of with your body and how it functions. And it eventually, it has become um, habit for me now, um, but it took a really long time to get there. Mm. I'm pleased you're there. Mm, so am I. It's, yeah. It takes up so much mental space. Mm. And you don't really realize how much of an impact it has until suddenly you get thrown out of routine. You might have a training pro, a training session changed or you might finish a little late, you're tired, you come home and you haven't pre-prepared your meal and so all of a sudden it's it's later and you're eating and then you're feeling guilty or you want to go you want to go out for dinner and you're going, "Oh, well, it needs to be before this time." Yeah, I 5:30. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I potentially get a little pedantic about it and I'm trying to ease off a little, but it's certainly one of those, those things you don't realise how much it rules your life until it gets disrupted. Mm. We are talking to Rosie Elliott, who's on the path to qualify for the Worlds and the Olympics, but she is one of the team captains for an event this Friday night called Launch Athletics. I'm going to quiz her about that after this break. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. we just got a few minutes left with New Zealand track star Rosie Elliott. 200 metres now. The herd of the 400 just got to her, maybe. No, she loves the pain locker. Um, Rosie, Launch Athletics is this Friday night. You're one of the team captains. My understanding is there's four teams. Each team's got two uh, senior athletes as part of it. Um, yourself, I think Georgia Hulls is there. Uh, Simi, who's a good friend of mine, mm-hmm. uh, Tafanui, uh There'll be competition amongst the leaders, but who's it designed to help? Is it teenagers, school kids? What, what's what's the vibe of your teams? Um, so, oh, I should know this. It's aimed at children who are between the ages of teenagers. Yeah, but young teenagers. So right, it right. kind of fills this this gap between when you have. Um, you know your your high school competitions and your junior competitions. It's it's aimed at keep at keeping children in the sport in this critical age where it's been. I think they did some some sort of investigation that showed that that was mo- most often where they were dropping out. Mm. Yeah, and you were involved in the last one. Mm-hmm, I was fun. Looks fun. It was a fantastic night. It actually poured down with rain last year, and even that wasn't enough to get us down. It was a whole lot of fun. Great competition. Um, the kids seem to love it. I put, I loved it. Do you compete? Do the senior no captains compete? No, you just we, mentor and help. We we hype up. We as yes. you say, we mentor, we direct, 
um, and uh, bicker amongst ourselves about who's got the best team. Yeah, I can imagine the competition mm. wouldn't just be with the kids, it would be with the team captains. 60 metres, 150 metres, 300 metres, 600 metres, 1,000 metres, and a mixed relay. Mm. What's a mixed relay? Um, I haven't had a look at what kind of mixed relay this is. Because mm. uh, I was thinking, is it going to be... Two boys, two girls, mm. four different distances, mm-hmm. maybe something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, so that that is what it. So you do actually have different kinds of of mixed relays. Um, again, I'm not sure what the distances are for this one, but usually you'd have a couple of. I think it's two boys, two girls. Um, the last one I did, which was gosh, way back in 2014, I believe it was two two hundreds, one four hundred, and one eight hundred. Oh wow. Um, but you can really make it anything, mm. I think. Yeah, mix and match. And yeah. there's, there's music there, there's mm-hmm. food vendors, mm-hmm. there's entertainment. Um, very different to a serious track meet. But I think the kids would love that. Yeah, well, I actually think that there's a lot to be said for all of those additional things that you wouldn't usually find at a track meet. So as you say, the, the DJ, the food, um, the music, entertainment, that sort of stuff. I actually think that that's a really good direction to be taking um it was something that i saw at a couple of meets when i was over in europe and the amount of attention that it drew from the public was really good to see Mm. um and similarly in melbourne a couple of weeks ago they had a competition it was a distance competition and similar vibes it was run by on and they had you know music i wasn't there but this is just from what i saw they had um, i thought you might quickly become a three thousand meter runner oh, just so you could go good yeah 10k <laughs> so that i can go sometimes you have to make sacrifices um yeah they had a big stage in the middle of the of the track i think peking duck was performing oh, wow. there afterwards um and it's just a really nice turn to be making athletics more of a spectator sport, which is probably the direction it really needs to be taking if it's going to be sustainable. We're seeing it in other sports, aren't we? Mm. There's the 2020 cricket, there's the big bash, uh, there's the party holes in golf now. Live Golf has parties. Um, Tom Walsh was telling me he threw at a, just a shot put specific thing somewhere Mm. in Belgium or somewhere like that. And it was going off, and he just loved it. And people like you would love that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if you've ever talked to Hamish Kerr, the high jumper. He's a regular guest. Yes. He, I believe, his favourite kind of event, and I think he said that he would love to exclusively compete in these sorts of events, is the jumps to music style competition, which we have a couple of in New Zealand, obviously at a much smaller scale. Mm. Um, One was just in I believe it was the weekend just past or maybe two weeks ago in Christchurch. And essentially you have a limited number of athletes per event, so maybe five or six athletes per event. And each athlete chooses one or two songs. And every time it's their turn to jump, their song comes on. Awesome. And it just creates great, great hype. It's re- it's a really cool vibe for the athlete as well. It's so completely different to anything that you'd compete in uh, in a regular competition. And takes away from the nerves of it almost. It pulls you out of your head. It's a lot of fun. Mm. We've got exactly 90 seconds left, Rosie. We're approaching the end of 2023. Mm -hmm. I'm very much hoping for a wonderful 2024 for you. Where do you see yourself physically, mentally, to go and attack next year? 
it's a, I don't know if I can sum that up in 90 seconds. Um, I'm just wanting to go, go forward, continuing to enjoy my event. Um, I think my change in city and coach has been huge for me. I'm in a much better headspace. Awesome. Thoroughly enjoying it and fostering some really lovely relationships with my squad mates. And I'd just like to keep those, keep those vibes going. Mm. Happy athlete, fast athlete. Yeah, exactly. And I'd like to run better bends as well. Yeah, let's get those bends sorted, yeah, eh? Yeah, But all that other stuff's important too. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Rosie Elliott, great joy to, to meet you and, and let the audience get to know you a little bit. We wish you all the very best. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. We'll wrap it up after this.